Hello, this is Richie from the Metal Cell Podcast. I'm absolutely delighted to welcome Brad Boatwright of Audio Siege and from the Ashes Rise to the podcast. Thanks, Brad, for coming on. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and of course, I've got Howard, my co-host, who is fresh from what, Howard? We are working I wouldn't, say, I wouldn't say fresh. Okay. <laughs> Or like working today, yeah. <laughs> I've been working all week. I'm still working in school. So it's been, uh, as you can imagine, it's been a tough old 12 months. But yeah. uh, we're, we, we're in the last two weeks of term. So we're off oh, for the yeah. summer. True, 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 true. So we're getting there. We're getting our just rewards, I think. We get a summer to relax and yeah. regroup. And, and you can escape it myself and Brad for an hour talking metal. <laughs> exactly. Metal and whiskey, Richie. You just cannot go fucking wrong, can you? Well, you can, you can but it's fun getting there. <laughs> And Brad, I must um, compliment you on your T-shirt as well. Nice to see oh, Sacrilege being, uh, giving a shout out. Appreciate it. Have you ever seen it? Uh, I haven't. Um, mm. I did get to work on the remasters of ah. um, Behind the Realms of Madness, which was a lot of fun. And I was stoked to do it. But yeah, longtime fan. I ended up, God, I was like probably 17 or 18 when I I found that record in a used record store in, in Jackson, Mississippi, just on a whim, you know? Oh my God. Um, yeah. It's all, it's still one of my favorites. It's so good. Yeah. It's class, man. I don't think it has aged. It's no. one of those timeless. It's aged really well. Mm. Yeah. Like ourselves, yeah. like ourselves. Like... <laughs> <laughs> well, speak for yourself. I don't know if I could say the same. <laughs> Remains to be seen hard. Yeah. My, my back muscles have to, uh, have, have to have a word about that. <laughs> so Brad, um, whereabouts in America are you from? Where'd you grow up? Well, I grew up in the mid South. I grew up in North Mississippi, um, about 60 miles South of Memphis. Um, and then I lived in Tennessee for a bit in Nashville and outside of Nashville for a few years. And then I came out to Portland, Oregon, which is where I am now. Um, mm. And I've been here for 20 years. So wow. yeah. That's a stretch. I've lived here longer than I lived anywhere else, including my hometown. So do you ever venture back? Yeah. Yeah. My family still lives there. And okay. um, we actually, my family and I um, last August, well, July and August of last year, uh, took a trailer down there, hitched the trailer to the, to the, to the car and just, you know, drove, made a, <laughs> made a trip out of it. It was like being on tour and, uh, surprised my, my parents. They didn't, they had no idea we were coming, but yeah, it was a, uh, it was a fun trip. And like I said, it was a lot like being on tour. So, yeah, how, long, how long did that take it? Uh, well, we were gone for about three and a half weeks. So it took us about, took us 10 days to get there, but we were stopping a lot. You know, yeah. we were, mm. I mean, we stayed two nights in, in, at a place in California. We, you know, spent a day and a half at the Grand Canyon, things like that. Ah, and, you know, nice. it wasn't like being on tour where you can just tolerate your, your bass player complaining about the drive. <laughs> you know, <laughs> when you got an eight-year-old complaining about the drive, it's a little bit different. <laughs> they don't get it, do they, at that age, man? Oh, man, no. So, yeah, you, can, you can show you know, them photographs really later when they get older. They might appreciate it as an angry teenager or something. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's why I'm making sure to print out all the photos too, so that we can have a photo album, you know, yeah. for, for when the grid goes out. <laughs> yeah. How influential was uh, Nashville on, on your, your musical journey, Brad? Um, you said you, you spent some time there. Um, mm -hmm. From an Irish perspective, Nashville would seem like a real hub of music, of country music, and, uh, you know, a bustling place where there's activity in that regard all the time. It must've had some influence on you. 
Yeah. That's actually why I moved there because, um, it was a, it was a path out of my hometown that I could, um, use to like, there was a, there's a actual college outside of Nashville that focuses on the recording industry and that's middle Tennessee state. Um, so I ended up leaving Mississippi and going there, um, and like there was a deal that you could go for in-state tuition because there was nobody in Mississippi that offered audio engineering courses um, mm. or majors. And so, yeah, like that kind of fed the, the business and the industry in Nashville. Um, it was a lot different in the nineties when I went there. Uh, it was more business and industry oriented and there was a lot less um, accessibility from, you know, from independent musicians and, mm. and, things like that just because of the prohibitive costs or the fact that it was, it was a little more closed of a system um, sort of the way kind of Hollywood was at the time or, but not as much um, like an actor. I don't know. It's just like imagine or something like that. Yeah. It's, it's kind of different because like the, the, I was talking about this on a, another podcast I did recently, but the, the accessibility to, recording and audio uh, tools uh, in general has come so far in the past 20, 25 years. And, you know, I, I, I went to, I went to Nashville. I, I left for Nashville when it was still, you know, you, you couldn't really, it was a little more difficult to do things yourself with on a, on a shoestring budget back then. Mm -hmm. um, you still had to spend a little bit of money, you know, and, and the results, you know, still were going to be, tied to your gear and your talents as well. These, these days, you know, you've got a little bit bigger of a, of a jump that you can make, um, with, with, with a lot less. So yeah. it's interesting. You mentioned the technology because, um, I think we're due an exponential growth in this thing in the last year, because one of the common denominators amongst musicians in the last 12 to 15 months or so has been home recording. Absolutely. You know, I think everybody yeah. has dipped their toe into it a little bit, I think just to keep busy mm -hmm. and to keep active. I'm yeah. wondering, will that have a kind of a, 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 an influence on the way recording is going to go? Yeah. Or, or, I mean, there's, you know, there's people who are, who go out and get a, a focus right interface, kind of like the one I'm, I'm using here, or, um, you know, like just a cheap little USB interface or something and then, and some microphones and, and headphones, and they just start recording themselves or they don't even use microphones and they just plug in and use amp simulators and, and drum software and things like that. And honestly, it, it often sounds pretty good. Um, and yeah, it has increased. I've seen a lot more kind of one person projects over the last yeah. year, year and a half. Yeah. I've seen Same a lot of, in Ireland, you know, yeah. we've seen it here in Ireland, Jan, yeah. Yeah, Cork as well. Yeah. There's been a three or four I can think of off the top of my head. Yeah. And a lot, and a lot of like remote kind of working that was, that's always been on the rise too. Like people, from different countries collaborating, sending mm -hmm. files. I mean, that's another thing like bandwidth. Um, the, the way that you can send audio files now is, I mean, it's so much quicker, you know, like uh, who would you, don't have to put a CD in the, you don't have to put a CD in the mail, you know, you don't <laughs> have to, you don't have to tell your roommates, Hey, don't use the phone for the next four days. You know, yeah. I'm going to be trying dial to send an album over dial up. <laughs> Yeah, there was um, a band there, Acid Age, they were only on three or four episodes ago. They recorded all theirs using analog. And yeah. they're, they're a bunch of kids, you know, they're young. Yeah, yeah. they're pretty cool. They're exceptionally young, aren't they? Like mm. 23, 24 or something. Yeah. I can't keep up with these kids. <laughs> I mean, even even going like analog, like, like 
you know, like that, that's another part of it is that even the good analog stuff is getting more or good sounding analog stuff is getting more accessible. Um, you know, there's no longer this like, well, if you want cheap, you have to go all digital. And if you want all analog, you have to spend some money. Like, I mean, top of the line analog is, is usually going to reflect its price and like what it sounds sometimes might be a little bit overpriced, but I mean, you can still, yeah, you can go all analog and still sound pretty good. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, there was a time where like, if you went all analog again on a shoestring budget, there were going to be some issues. Right. So, and I mean, talent overcomes everything, of course, but yeah, yeah. that's really is the bottom line, isn't it? Like what stage was sound secondary to music for you? Oh, I think they always went hand in hand, honestly. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I remember my dad listen, listening to music with my dad uh, running errands with him when I was probably seven or eight and him tapping his foot on the floorboards of his truck. He's like, tap your foot to the, you know, like that's what you do when you, when you <laughs> drive. And I was like, Oh, that's, that makes a really cool sound. You know, it's this kind of hollow sound when we're stuck. <laughs> you know, I can tap it with beat with the beat of the music or, or in, in rhythm with the engine or whatever, you know, like, so mm. I, I think it's always gone hand in hand. Wow. At, at, even at that early age yeah absolutely yeah. and then forming your first band what are your memories um being in a really small room and playing with a group of friends and making music making making sounds that we could jam to you know that yeah. we kind of making the thing making putting the notes in our heads together as a group you know together um and a lot of heat. <laughs> I remember it was really hot. Um, so yeah, it was, it was like the, 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 the feeling of camaraderie, you know, the feeling mm -hmm. of, of creating something together. And that's probably what I remember more than anything. Um, if I did remember the sound, uh, it was probably a really bad guitar sound on my part <laughs> with some really cheap gear, but yeah. Uh, what was the scene back then? Was it was it more hometown, or was it were you kind of looking to get into cities uh, as teenagers? Well, yeah, like I mean, again, I grew up in a small town in an area that was, you know, like the closest urban area was Memphis, and Memphis had a pretty good punk scene um, ah, going back cool. to the eighties. Like right, they had okay. a really a really great punk and hardcore scene. Um, so I was lucky, like you know, I did get to see some great great bands at the antenna club in memphis um and occasionally like they would come down and play the hoka theater in oxford mississippi which was like i kind of consider oxford my hometown at this point because okay. it's central to where to the two towns that my parents lived when i was growing up and what kind um, of bands were they agnostic front crow mags or like they would tour like they would they would all tour to to memphis but you know i like a friend of mine um like I, I was really lucky that there were some older friends that I made in Oxford, like my friend Newt and my friend Gentry and my friend Mikey. And they were, they had had a punk band. Like Gentry was in a punk band called nightmare on Sesame street from Oxford and, and Newt was in a band called dead fish, which was kind of a crossover a crossover band. And like Newt had moved to Minneapolis and, and, uh, written for profane existence, which was a, a fanzine from, from Minneapolis, a uh, long running fanzine that was, that covered a lot of like, you know, punk and DIY stuff. Um, and then there was also a fanzine from Oxford called assault with intent to free, which covered a lot of music and turned me on to a lot of things. So this was back in the day when 
I learned about a lot of music from record reviews and, and columns and, and, and perusing the record collections of my friends and asking yeah, if I can, like a song, you know, yeah. copy, mm-hmm. put something on, on, on a cassette or something. Um, so, you know, I was just lucky to, to have the right people early in my life um, who were just a couple of years older than me who could like, you know, punch in the right direction. Show you the way, show you the path. Yeah, and, yeah. and I played music with them too. You know, I ended up playing music with them as well. And it was just, yeah, it's, it just, everything just kind of worked out. It was like a game of, I don't know if you guys, if you guys watched the prices right over there, it was like, there's this uh, Plinko is the name of the game where they, this guy <laughs> like the, he no, just yeah. drops oh, yeah. through the little pegs. <laughs> It's it's or been pain, like a game of Plinko. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You would then have access to a lot of touring bands, as you said, and uh, the scene was more punk, more than metal or anything else, really. Yeah, way more punk. And it was very mm-hmm. small. I mean, there were, you know, I could count on both hands um, with people who would like actually like consider themselves punks back then. And, you know, there was this crossover with like, you know, the people who were just a little bit weird and didn't really have a place to fit in or, you know, like liked a little more of the grunge stuff or the indie rock stuff that it was coming out in the early nineties. Like they would associate mm-hmm. with us and stuff like that. And we would, yeah. we would have house shows and go to house shows and, and bands would, would stop through and, and play Oxford or Memphis. And it was, man, it was a good time. Yeah. You know, it sounds like it, man. Great time. And I was looking at some of the old videos of um, uh, the Cooters. That was my first band. That, that was, was my band, band with Newton Gentry. Yep. The, uh, yep. the Waffle House song. They're still playing all day today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They did that uh, after, after I left the band. And that was a, um, it was an homage to, uh, to, you know, all the times we'd go see a show in Memphis or, or play in Memphis or something. And we'd stop at the Waffle House for, <laughs> <laughs> you know, we've got some stories about those, those trips to the Waffle House as well replenish yourselves before you go home to the coach and <laughs> I wouldn't call it replenishing. I'd call it <laughs> scattered, scattering, smothering and covering. Um, but, but what struck me about it when I was listening to it was, um, it sounded really, you know, in the ballpark of Ireland and the UK. It reminds me of bands here. We have like curb dog and therapy and all these sort of uh, early nineties punk bands are crossover punk going into this new indie wave kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm just wondering, were you influenced by anything in, in this direction in, in, the, in the European sense or the UK sense? Uh, oh, yeah. It really does sound a lot like a lot of, lot of you know, that kind of um, genre, let's say, or something like that. But you can, you can kind of taste the little nitbits of UK bands and so on. Would that be correct? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. 100%. And even like Irish bands like FUAL. Do you guys yeah. remember them? Fuck Up and Live? Still, I still have that 12 inch. It's great. <laughs> That's a fucking blast from the past. Wow. Jesus, yes, it is. <laughs> a, deep, a deep cut, Brad, a deep cut. <laughs> I'm full of them. <laughs> and see, that's one that I, I mean, I got that at Shangri-La in Memphis, a record store that sold, you know, independent records and punk records. And I got oh, it based on, a, based on a review that I read and I, I loved it, you know, didn't know what it was going to sound like before I heard it, before I took it home. There's a lot of stuff that I picked up like that. So, yeah. Where are all those things now, man? Have you traded them in? And nope. Like, oh, he's one <laughs> nope. of those. Respect. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Nice. I mean, there's there's a few records over the years that I've gotten rid of and, you know, traded. I haven't sold records since. I mean, last time I sold records. These days, like, oh, okay. So I think the last time I sold a record, it was when I realized that I shouldn't be selling records. And it was when I moved to Portland. So, mm. like, 
there was a time before that when we were on tour and I brought a little handful of records just to help pay my rent while I was gone. It was, you know, you had to, had to still pay the bills while you go out on tour and we would come home with barely anything. And so um, it was just kind of to help cover, cover my, 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 my costs or, you know, ending up being irresponsible and just buying more records on tour. Um, But I think the last time I sold a record was after I moved to Portland and uh, I had a little stack of seven inches that I was selling and a friend of mine came over and man, I lived in this punk house. It was, um, it was the house that my friends in tragedy, they were on tour in, in Europe. And so I was subletting Billy's room in the basement and they were all sub- subletting their rooms. So it was just this, this big like punk house with like, but it was like a temporary, temporarily inhabited, like our temporary <laughs> inhabitants. Right. So, so I've got like, I've got this stack of seven inches and, and people are using like, seriously, like the free weeklies for toilet paper. There's no toilet paper in the house. There's no toilet paper in this house. And Portland was a lot different back then. I, it was like, you know, walking to a coffee shop was a little bit farther and, uh, and I had to go. Right. So a friend of mine came over and I'm like, man, I'm selling some records. And so he bought a seven inch for two bucks and I'm like, cool, man. Well, good seeing you. You know, let's uh, hang out again soon. (laughs) After he left, I took that $2 to the corner store and I bought a four pack of toilet paper for two bucks and I'm running down the street and I'm like, shit, man, anybody who sees me running with a, with a four pack of toilet paper is going to be like, that guy's got to take a shit, right? Like he's got to go. I'm I'm like running back. Right. Like, so, so I get there, I get home and then I do some thinking in the bathroom. I'm like, man, I just, I mean, I'm basically going to wipe my ass with a seven inch here. (laughs) I just sold, I sold a seven inch to buy toilet paper. So I told myself I wasn't going to do that anymore. I think that's the last one. That's a classic, man. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, that's brilliant. And from Ashes Royce, uh, tell us a bit about that band, how it formed, who are the people in it? Uh, So that is um, me, of course. um, And my brothers at this point, uh, John Wilkerson, Dave Atchison and Derek Wilman. Uh-huh. And that formed from like, after I moved to, to middle Tennessee, um, Dave, our drummer had had a band that had just broken up. So he was looking to play music again. And again, it was, you know, the game of Plinko, just everything falling into place in, in the right order and at the right time. And, uh, I met Dave at a show and, you know, said, Hey, you know, would, would you be interested in playing music? And, you know, he was like, back then he was like, yeah, you know, like, you know, we're, I'm interested in auditioning, you know, and <laughs> we've become like really close and, and, uh, over the, over the years, but like, you know, we set up a time, I showed up at his house with a, with a, with my amp and, and guitar and we played and it was like immediately like, okay, this is going to be fun. And this is, we're going to be able to write some music that we want to hear. And, uh, I talked John into moving up from Jackson, which is where he lived in Jackson, Mississippi. Um, so he moved up and joined the band about six months after, like it was me and another guitar player, Jeff uh, initially, and Jeff left the band and John came up and joined. Um, and we had a singer and then the singer left the band. So it was, it went through a, a few like embryonic um, formations and pretty much settled on where we're at now, um, which is, you know, the three of us, John, Dave, and me, and Derek, who um, is from Wisconsin, actually. And so Derek, actually, we met him when he was 16 in Wisconsin on our, one of our first tour, our our first big tour, um, the first time we played Wisconsin, and our bass player, like, quit the band. Our band broke down. We had to drive back. We went back to Nashville from Atlanta, and 
we were getting the van, the van fixed and canceling shows every day. And then, so we were stuck there for a week and a half and our, our bass player quit. And we just decided like, Hey, when the van's fixed, like, let's just go like, you know, like we don't like, we've got all these shows booked. So we, you know, the three of us drove up to Massachusetts and, and this was in 98. And so we, we drove up to Massachusetts overnight and caught up with where we were supposed to be in our shows and stuff. And then by the time we got to Wisconsin, like we played a show with Derek, who was with Derek's band, uh, the inflicted or the infect. Oh man, I'm going to, you got to cut this part out because I can't remember what is, what his band was called. I'm having a senior moment. Uh, the senior moment that I did. <laughs> anyway, there were two bands. Anyway, Derek's band. So Derek's band. But yeah, I remember, so I remember, but I remember th- saying like, Hey, like, let's, let's talk to this guy. Like, let's, let's see if he wants to, it's summer, you know, he's not in school. Let's see if he wants to go on tour with us. Let's see if he wants to join. Jesus. And, uh, I he him at 16. Fucking <laughs> well, he, ended up, he ended up moving. He moved to Portland and, and joined another band called remains of the day who we played more shows with um, when we were still in Nashville and toured out here. Uh, we did a West coast, our, the West coast leg of our tour, um, was with his band remains of the day and, you know, and Billy had joined the band. Um, our friend Ryan played bass for a little while. Ryan was the singer and burned up blood dry from Arkansas. He was on bass for a little while. And then Billy again, Billy from tragedy was on bass. And then, uh, when Billy had some scheduling issues come up, he ended up leaving the band. He's still a good friend of ours, um, leaving the band and Derek joined. And that was in, I believe 2004, and so like Derek joined like, you know, six years after we met him and considered asking him to play just, you know, because that's, that was just how it was going to work. Right. Like that was just, it, it, we knew it was kind of meant to be. So it's the four of us. And then, um, John, Dave, and I each, we all have kids who, who are within a couple of years, um, apart from each other. And so they play together pretty oh, often. Cool. They were together this they were together in the backyard this weekend and they had decided to have a protest against their parents, which is pretty interesting. Is I mean, weird. they were like fists up in the air and everything. <laughs> as long as it wasn't a dirty protest and you need to tie the road, it'd be grand. You know? Well, I, I had some smoke bombs. I ended up throwing one in the backyard. <laughs> Do you know, Brad, how much of a draw is it to get to Europe as much as a draw it is for European bands to play America? That's a tough question for me to answer because I mean, the, the last tour we did in Europe was 2005. Mm-hmm. Um, although we've played Europe a few times since then, but they've been fests and one offs and things yeah. like that. Um, so I don't know. It's a, it's a tough question. It's, I know the American border has traditionally been very tough, even coming back through it. If you're American, um, a lot of times it, it's tougher when you're driving you know, um, when you got a van full of equipment and things like that, if you're, if you're coming in through an airport and things like that, but mm. you know, it's, it, you're just, it's luck of the draw. Sometimes you'll, you'll end up with that, that, you know, border guard, who's just having a bad day and wants to turn everybody around and put them back on that 12 hour flight. So it's a tough, tough question for me to answer. Um, and it's an even tougher question to answer now, you know, now that things are how they are and, and have, you know, so I'm not sure. <laughs> really. Um, what I was, I don't know, you'd probably misunderstand me. I was just on about like how much of um, a dream maybe would be the better way to describe it for American bands oh. to play Europe. And I know Europe, European bands always want to get to America. So. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Yeah. yeah I thought you were, you were um, asking about kind of how, how 
how difficult or easy it was for for each. Um, Why don't you yeah, answer that it, anyway? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, again, I think that's a difficult question to to answer. I think if you're really, I think for, I can speak for myself, like having mm. been weaned on European punk and hardcore, um, getting to Europe, getting to, to tour Europe the first time we've toured there twice, like getting to tour there the first time was, was pretty cool. And it was yeah. a, it was a dream come true. Um, it was also like, there were some organizational differences. I'm not going to say one is better than the other, just for fear of offending America people. America's better. <laughs> oh, there were some, there were some, like, it was like, there's, I, I mean, there's just experience. some differences. I've in, never been to it, America, but it can't be worse. <laughs> well, I mean, there were, there were, okay, we don't, we don't have a lot of squats over here, right? Like if, mm-hmm. I mean, and I'm saying we don't have a lot because I don't know if the number's actually zero or not. Like, <laughs> but like, I've never played, like, I've never played a squat in America. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the squats in Germany were all like very, like very organized, you know, and it's very, a very big, it's a big part of the, of the music scene in Europe. Is, it's is, it's is huge. Squatting. And it's, it's, Especially it's iconic, so on, you know? it's iconic as well. And, you know, I, that was very impressive to us. It wasn't like, it wasn't like, Oh, Hey, let's find an empty building and, and plug in a, or hook up a generator. It was all like very well done. Um, to where the, you know, if the word squat wasn't attached to it, you, you would be playing a club, right? Like mm-hmm. you would just a, a normal club. Like, you know, there's a bar taking your money. There's, you know, there's, there's people like actually charging admission at these places. There's set times, there's a sound person, there's a, you know, it, it was, it was really well done. Um, that's one of the main cultural differences, obviously. Um, and then, you know, like drives like in, in the U S like East of the Mississippi, you can, you can get away with averaging about three to four hours between, between shows. And once mm-hmm. you go out West, things are a, a lot further apart and you might have to drive eight to 16 hours or something, yeah. um, between shows. So, you know, that was, that was kind of a funny moment, like asking, one of our asking uh, the one of the people we were with in Germany, like, you know, how far do we have to go? Like, Oh, it's really far. It's about four hours. You know, we're like, Oh, okay. I mean, there was one time, like we were actually, we were coming from Finland to Sweden. And like, so we played Sweden, took the ferry to Finland, played a few shows. And then we were, had to go back to Sweden, play some more shows. And we missed the ferry that night just because the show was too late. And, um, we were like, oh man, what are we going to do? Like, well, look at the map and you can drive. I mean, you can make the drive. You just go up north of the Arctic circle and come back down. You know, <laughs> and we figured it was going to be about six hours. And like the couple guys that were with us were like, no. <laughs> we're like, come on, like, you know, how hard could it be? Like, let's, like you know, we're just like, well, let's just do it overnight. And we did it. It was fine. You know, like we, we get like, we get up way up North and there's like, you know, it's like, Oh, that's a moose slow down because if we hit that, we're totaling the van and it's going to walk away. And there's ice, you know, there's ice every, it was just like an ice fortress, but the road was fine. You know, like and we did it in probably six hours. So Amazing. it wasn't too big of a deal. We were like, why would we take the ferry? Like what, this makes a lot of sense. Like, why does, why don't, why doesn't everybody do this? <laughs> And festivals then, Brad, any memories of festivals in Europe? Any meeting any particular bands or playing on the same bills with heroes? Or... Yeah. Yeah, lots. Um, let's see. We played with uh we played with the X on tour once. That might not have even been a, a festival. That might have been just been another show 
believe that was in in Germany. Um, the past few festivals we've played in in um, Europe have been just you know I mean it's been ridiculous. Like you got like Hellfest, right? Mm. It's like yeah. <laughs> where Been there it's four or five times. Yeah. Everything you know, discharged. GBH, Leonard yeah. Skinner, and Megadeth, right? Like so <laughs> that was pretty cool. Um, it was great being being in our little room in at Hellfest, and we were right next to Turbo Negro's room, and Happy Tom <laughs> comes over and is like, "Hey," and we're like. <laughs> Good to meet you. <laughs> and uh, uh, that was funny. Yeah, King Diamond's door was like shut the entire time. Um, you know, everybody else, like Leonard Skinner had their door open. They're walking out to play with their guitar cases. It's like, oh, hi. You know, like it's Leonard <laughs> Skinner right there. And, you know, Molly Hatchet's doing shots with our bass player. And <laughs> But King Diamond's got his door shut because he's King Diamond. <laughs> Conjuring a demon or something or fucking. <laughs> oh, fuck. Gurgling. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I was actually at that one uh, for Skinner. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We went down the front. It was a beautiful day as well. They had all it the was. strippers up behind um, <laughs> over this bar and all the strippers were there. Skinner, Blair, I'd say it was around 26, 28 degrees, pissed drunk going, doesn't get better. Any, doesn't yeah. get any better than that. It's just a that was a funny one too. 26 or 28 degrees over here, Brad, is like hotter than the sun, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, I it's, know you guys uh, are used to your 40 degrees and 50 degrees Celsius. I'm doing the math in my head. I always think of somebody saying, why are you wearing a jacket? It's like 20 degrees outside <laughs> in, in British Columbia or in uh, Quebec one time. That's, that's like what I think of. Like, that's my frame of reference. Um, <laughs> yeah. That was a funny one because when Skinner played, like there were a lot of, a lot of people in the crowd waving Confederate flags mm. and we were all like, yeah, that's. Can't do it anymore. It. It's a rebel flag yeah. thing. We're from, where we're from in uh, Cork here, Brad, it's, it's um, traditionally nicknamed the Rebel County. So when the, the local GAA team, GA is, is an Irish sport. So when the local team plays, I guess, when people were allowed to attend to, to the matches and so on, it was, you know, Confederate flags all around the stadium, 40,000 people holding it up, you know. But, uh, and I shouldn't even say the Confederate totally flag. Out of context, with, with no intention of uh, racism or anything like that. Just, right. just ignorance of, you know, this is a rebel place in America with the same yeah. colors as our team. Let's wave it, you know? Yeah. But um, I, th I think it's been banned, Richie, in the last couple of That's years, it. is it? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And it's not even the Confederate flag. Like, it's, it's not actually the, what the Confederate, Confederacy flew in the Civil War. <laughs> That's the, the, yeah. the funny part. I mean, yeah. So that was, that was an interesting experience, but yeah. And I also remember like it, those outdoor festivals, like they get muddier as the day goes, you know, and you start like, <laughs> I think Hellfest was like, there were a couple streams that got like wider and as you're walking, you know, towards places, you're like, okay, we've got to, we've got to find a crossing here <laughs> and you look uphill and they've got all the, the toilets and everything up there yeah. or you see a line of people pissed drunk against the, the fence yeah, and the, against the, the wall. Just the worst <laughs> thing about Hellfest or the best thing, it depends on your viewpoint. Actually, she must have been really happy, Brad. Did you get like the amount of vinyl shops in Hellfest must have been, must have blown your yeah, way. It was. Yes. Mm -hmm. And, uh, we were expecting um, our son at that point, and I got him a Motorhead onesie, which was, <laughs> that was my score <laughs> of the show. Brought that home. Bonus points there for that. It said, it said Sleepyhead. It was like it said Sleepyhead in the Motorhead logo. <laughs> it's really cool. There's this uh, area anyway, Howard, behind where all the vinyl is. We had some name for it anyway, but they just sell wine in, in that yeah. area. So you just go in and you fill up like your two liters of wine. <laughs> 
<laughs> Stroll around looking at records, at spending like, all your money. At 12 o'clock during the daytime, man. Oh, it's dangerous mix, drinking vinyl. You know, oh, you're, man. Gonna, you're not going to yeah. come out of there with, uh, with money in your pocket. Are you? <laughs> yeah, I no. think there were, there, were, there were definitely a few people who had too much and passed out with their heads in one of those, <laughs> in one of those streams. You probably stood <laughs> over me, Brad, at one oh, stage. <laughs> Little did we know. So when you got back and... Um, like obviously with the band as well, you were dabbling with maybe producing some of their stuff or? That was about, yeah, that, I mean, it, I've always kind of had a hand in that because it, it's always, I've always kind of been over the, the, the shoulder of, of the person we were working with and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it kind of, yeah, I mean, I guess it coincided with me like trying to plan some things out with like I've, I've always wanted to do mastering and I've always had an ear for it. And it, it kind of coincided with me trying to work my way into doing that as a career. Um, in were your bandmates actively encouraging you? Oh yeah, absolutely. Cool. Yes, they were. I've, I've been lucky to have friends who were very supportive and, and who would encourage me um, or, you know, lucky to have friends who would doubt me at times too. <laughs> you know, there's nothing better than proving people wrong, but like, yeah, it was, um, I mean, we're, we're like, we've only recorded a seven inch, a two song seven inch since the last album we did. So 2009, you know, I think it was. Yeah. It's quite a stretch. Yeah. Was, yeah. Man. Yeah. It's been, it's been, it's been a long one. Yeah. 12. But yeah, like it, it's, and I was talking about this on the last podcast I did it as well. Not, not to sound like a broken record, but like, there was a, like I was likening mastering to mixing where mastering is kind of setting, like setting up the gear. Mixing could be like putting the gear in the van, right? Like fitting everything Mm -hmm. together. Um, You know, cutting back on a couple of guitar cabinets to make room for more drums or vice versa. Um, You know, it's it's kind of like an an analogy, like loading the van is like mixing, taking everything out of the van and setting it up on stage um, or like, you know, on the floor or whatever, like that's kind of the mastering yeah. part of it to me. Like that's, and that's where playing a lot of improvised places where we didn't have microphones on the guitar amps and, and stuff like that. It was, it was, uh, it was, I, I developed an ear for it and we had a certain process and, and certain ways that we would do things. And so it just naturally came from that, right? Like mastering just naturally came from that. And it was also a way for me to stay involved with music while I wasn't actively playing it as much as I mm-hmm. used to. Yeah. I was looking through the list of, um, of bands that are on your roster that you've recorded. And what struck me, first of all, is the sheer volume. You must be a very, very busy man. Yeah. Sometimes I feel like I, <laughs> sometimes I, feel like I could be busier, but yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's it just it's relentless. But uh, there was a couple that, that stood out to me. The, um, Full of Hell was one. And uh, yes. Sono. Uh, I think it was a couple of live records I did for Sono. But the first thing <laughs> that came to my mind when I saw um, Full of Hell was this, how the hell, how the hell do you get all those layers to sit on top of each other and sound cohesive? Because it's it's amazing. It's The record sounds amazing. But it's just so noisy. And must, yeah. it must have, you must have been pulling your hair out with this thing. No, not really. That like those were those hmm. records are pretty easy for me, <laughs> you know. Really? Like, yeah, and I think if I was mixing them, like it would probably be uh, a bit different. But that's, mm. I mean, I, I I think that like Kevin Kevin Bernstein and Kurt Ballou, um, the two people who have have done their their records, 
have done really, really great jobs on those. And they just made my job easy. Uh, you know, I don't really yeah, have to. Yeah. The stuff that I really like have a tough time with is, is often things that are inconsistent or things that were mixed in a, in a, in a poorly sounding room, um, you know, like that have weird imbalances, things like that, that really need to be corrected when there's a lot of layers on something like that, you know, like that's, mm. I just, I mean, the hard part's kind of done, you know, like I just <laughs> yeah. run, it through, the run it through the gear, like make sure nothing's, you know, make sure nothing's lopsided and, and, and just slam the shit out of it sometimes. <laughs> and, and, that, that's a band now, Son of, um, I saw mm -hmm. him at Hellfest. I lasted 10, 15 minutes and I had to go. <laughs> nah, yeah. too much wine and smoke. No, just yeah. Noise. Yeah. It, I've never seen them live, but um, I've, I know a few people who have, and they said the same thing. It's, it's like being underwater for 10, yeah. 15 minutes, yeah. and then and you got to go back and take a break and yeah. <laughs> have a think for yourself and maybe go back again. So, how would you approach that? Uh, well, Greg is a really good friend of mine, and that's how I ended up with that and a lot of that oh, cool. Southern Lord stuff. Um, and that is more, I mean, being a guitar player, it's kind of like, it's, it's another thing that's, a, it's, it's not that hard because it's, it's kind of like just setting up a guitar sound, right? Like mm. it's, it's a little bit different in that the dynamic range doesn't really have the same effect. Like there's no, you're not like measuring the dynamic range of that as much, or you're going to like really kind of start pulling your hair out because there's no dynamic range at time at times, just from the sheer low end. And the fact that it's like sustained notes, right? Like, mm something with dynamic range is going to have a lot of transients, a lot, you know, it's the, the waveforms are going to be up and down. Uh, guitars are pretty much kind of steady state. And, and, you know, if you're, if you're aiming for a dynamic range by mastering a band like sun, you're, you're not going to really, you're not going to get it just right. Mm -hmm. So you kind of have to throw a lot of that out the window. And like, like I said, it was just throw that out the window and act like it's a guitar sound, right? Like, cause that's what they're, a lot of what they're showcasing is, is their guitar sound is their the interplay between the instruments and just sheer low end. Mm -hmm. Um, so. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, as the reason why you're on the show as well is because you've, you've definitely helped out a lot of Irish bands and the likes of Baylor, Nomadic Rituals, Cormona, mm -hmm. Abaddon, Incarnate, so much for the sun. What kind of research would you have to do with those bands? Would you be aware of previous albums or, does it depend on the communication you're given? How do you approach? Yeah, sometimes I do. Like there's, I mean, I'm, God, I'm just, I'm really lucky because I get to, I get to discover a lot of music through music that I'm being given to work on. Yes. So, um, yeah, there's times where, where like, like with Abaddon Incarnate, like mm. they were quite, they've, they're quite prolific, right? Like, the, yeah. so yeah. I think they had done like a few records before the one that I was given. So, you know, I look into them, um, just to kind of see, like a lot of times I'm kind of seeing what they're not necessarily what they're going for, because I can usually hear what a band is going for, but kind of to see what direction they might want to take with the mastering. Mm. Right. Like if they want something that's really, really pushed or something that's a little more dynamic. Um, you know, we're, I think we're kind of through the loudness wars where we, where everything <laughs> was getting slammed. Um, <laughs> Yeah. I like to get things. I mean, I, I'm not going to lie. I, I like to get things loud, but I also like to keep things dynamic. So my, my mm -hmm. challenge is to get things loud while retaining the punch and the, the transients. And sometimes I, I don't succeed with that on, on the first pass or two. And sometimes I, I, I go, you know, I'm too conservative. Um, 
that's kind of what I consider like the first pass sometimes to kind of be there for is to gauge the direction that the band might be wanting to go because I rely on their feedback. So yeah, yeah, there's a lot of times where I will look into someone's catalog, like prior catalog or back catalog just to kind of see, right? Like, Mm. and then you can kind of, it won't tell you a whole lot sometimes, but it can, it can help you help with your instinct and, and your, your reasoning to make certain decisions. Yes. Sometimes again, would you have to jump in and say, okay, maybe the band has given me seven songs and they're in a certain sequence. Would you recommend maybe song five will go to, you know, song two? Absolutely, or, yeah. Really? Yeah. You, you, yeah. you would. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I am a, I'm a big proponent of, of sequencing a record properly um, because it keeps, it keeps a record interesting, you know, like, mm. and so, yeah, I will absolutely do that. Um, I think that it's important. I think that it's, it, there's there, I can tell you like what there's, there's some records out there that I think are, you know, flawlessly sequenced. And that's a big part of why I still listen to them. And I will so I'm at the point th- these days where sometimes like with song spacing, like I won't, I won't do this with the order, but like, I will do this with song spacing where I'll, I'll just do it without, without consulting the band, just because I feel like it's right. And then mm-hmm. if they tell me like, Hey, put this time back in there and then I'll do it. But like, you know, I'll time out the the gaps, right? Like if it's something like dad, 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 you know, then it's on the count when the next song comes in. Right. So, mm-hmm. you know, or like if there's, I like having the first, you know, I, I like sequencing things like a batting lineup, right? Like, you know, like your high percentage first, first batter, your second two, like, you know, like maybe fast, fast, smaller guys, you know, going to steal some bases. And then your fourth guy is going to be your home run hitter. Right. So hmm. there's some times where, you know, and I think those first, first four songs are really important. And I think the spacing is, is even more important with those. So yeah, there's times where I will suggest to a band, um, maybe moving some things around and I'll do that, especially if it comes to vinyl, if the sides are, are lopsided, if, if they've mm. got a side a that might be 12 minutes and side B is 18 minutes mm. and they can rearrange things to get 15 minutes aside. Why wouldn't you do that? Right. Um, yeah. So Practi- I'll a practical approach to, to things like that is very important, mm-hmm. but it must cause, yeah. it must cause a lot of conflict. I'd imagine with a, with, you know, some bands with a very strong personalities and have a very uh, stubborn, you know, idea of how they want the record to sound and sequence. Uh, do you ever come up against um, difficulty in that regard in terms of conflict with those guys? If they feel strongly about it, you know, I'm not going to push it. I'm not going to push it. I mean, I, yeah. I just kind of always approach it, uh, approach it like saying, you know, hey, here, here's some unsolicited advice. Just as a listener, um, as a listener, like when I'm listening to your record and, and enjoying it, right, this is what mm-hmm. I feel comes naturally um if they say no this is how we have it or like you know hey well yeah we'd love to do that but the artwork's already done i'm just gonna be okay, okay cool you know okay we'll, yeah we'll so there's that side of it as well yeah 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 that's the interesting artwork. yeah you won't get bands that have committed to the artwork to change around even though <laughs> okay. yeah that's another that's a side that you wouldn't think about and like as well brad the vinyl resurgence is incredible over here in europe i don't know what it is in america i think um yeah. i was looking at was it like eight or nine million sales in 2020 yeah. for the first half in America alone? Um, but like, is, how important is it for bands to master for vinyl? Quite important. Mm. Um, if they want it to sound good, 
it's yeah. it's very important because you know you're you're dealing with a physical medium so you have to absolutely make sure that the the dynamic range and everything is correct and that the frequencies aren't the 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 frequencies that poke out on on both ends of the spectrum aren't poking out excessively and hogging up the room on the vinyl um length of sides is very important mm -hmm. too um you know you've got there's a graphic out there that, that people can 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 look up and, and find and it's it's a triangle right like the triangle of of three different things low end volume and um low end volume and then yeah guys i have no idea what i'm doing <laughs> half the time here sorry i'm a complete fraud but I've been trying to, to be trying to get but Richie to, like, to jump on the vinyl you, wagon. You know, Richie's a bit reluctant to, to get to get out of this. Yeah. And it, uh, I think So if you want it's basically like if, if you want more more low end, you're gonna have to come down on and vinyl and, and oh it's time. <laughs> Jesus low end volume and time. Okay. So if you have more if you have more time, you have less low end and less volume. More volume, you have to have less time and low end and all like they all interact together. It was time all along, guys. There you go, man. Anyway, so low end volume and time, right? So like you're dealing with a physical medium, you're dealing with a side of a record that's a certain a certain size, and you're trying to fit enough music into these physical grooves that are all next to each other. And you know, when you're gonna squeeze 22, 23 minutes on onto a record, you know those grooves are gonna do this, right? And when you've got lateral movement that's making your that's that's giving you your low end. And side to side music that, or movement that's giving you your your stereo image and, and mid range stuff, that gets a lot narrower and the bandwidth gets a lot smaller. And with the dynamic range of, of vinyl being so low, when you start cutting records really quiet to compensate for excessive time or um, excessive loss of dynamics through limiting and things like that, then you're effectively turning up the noise floor because for someone to listen to that at a at a volume, mm -hmm. you know. A reasonable volume they're they're going to have to crank things to the point to where they're they're mm. also amplifying surface noise and stuff like that you're spot on but i think probably with this in the 1970s and 80s where vinyl was the main source of um you know supply um certainly but i think nowadays bands are more are more releasing a vinyl as an afterthought when they can afford it so yeah. the, probably the mastering is done at that stage and they're just putting it on vinyl <clears> and they're and you're probably missing as you say a lot yeah. of that i mean people will come back to me at you know saying like hey we're, we're going to release this on vinyl like can you remaster it and i save everything so i've still got the mixes and i'm like absolutely you know i can do that mm -hmm. i can i can i can master this for vinyl or people you know think ahead and they're like you know we're not we don't have plans to do this but it's not that much more to get mm. vinyl masters. And so let's do that. But I always do recommend it because it's, I mean, using digital masters, especially if they're just slammed to high heaven, like it's the cutting engineer is going to turn it, just going to, they're, they're going to turn it down and, and give it a quiet cut. Well, Howard, um, you're, um, you're getting ready there, man. You've the album done. Um, have you talked oh, yeah, about Of this? course. I mean, I think every album mm. that I've been involved in in the last couple of years has been mastered for vinyl. Um, it's, it's, uh, I, I used to listen to a lot of vinyl when I was a teenager, but then Napster came along and we got these compressed MP3s and it fucking ruined my ear for many years, but it was just so accessible that I just went with it for maybe five to 10 years. But it's since the beginning of the pandemic, I've returned to vinyl in a big way. And, um, it was actually the, our own record, Richie, that I was listening to because we got it delivered at the time, you know, <laughs> it arrived. 
And um, I'd, I'd heard, I, you know, we'd had we'd had the record uh, mastered for CD, and we have it up in Spotify and so on. And I'd be listening to it, and I do enjoy it. But uh, um, listening to it on vinyl, I mean, I was hearing <laughs> all the little scratches and mistakes that I had made, and it was brilliant. <laughs> you know, it just felt it just felt um, far more. Um, uh, far more, I don't know, real. I, I, I don't know everybody goes on about vinyl being this special experience and whatnot, but there is something to it for sure. It's it immersive. Is immersive. There is something to it, and particularly when you listen to your own music, I think you you you, you hear the, you know, the fart from your ass, Richie. You know, it's in the room, like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The only way it's immersive, Brad, is if you're allowed the time and the money to fuck off <laughs> to your room and nobody disturb you that's only yeah. when it's immersive yeah. and those moments yeah. are rare and far between unfortunately they're, they're quite rare they're yeah. quite rare but um yeah i just myself like just broke out my old kenwood receiver which oh man like plugged that in at the house and uh, just going through some just old classic records that i've always loved but i mean like i i i enjoy a good record really no matter how i'm listening mm. to it i can put on I can put on an album on my phone and if it's, yeah, I mean, if it's great enough and I know it by heart, I'm going to enjoy it. I, I'll put my phone, sit my phone on the counter while I'm, you know, doing things at home and just listen to something. Mm. I mean, it's, it sounds really odd for me to say that, but like, it sounds okay. I'm used to like, I've listened to some great albums in the van, you know, going down the road in the middle of summer where we, you know, without an AC and we're just, like we've got the windows open. It's a loud ass band. Our, our stereo is not very loud. And like listening to a cassette, it just, you know, sounds like that. And I'm enjoying it. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, uh, you know, it, when you know a record by heart, there's, 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 you don't need the, the audio file experience, I think, you know. And Brad, how do you balance the rawness of certain bands we'd say want and the slickness of modern digital recording techniques? Oh, well, there's a lot of, a lot of, you know, tools that I have at my disposal. Um, there's a, you know, a lot of, a lot of times if somebody wants something really raw um, or if somebody wants something distorted or, or, or grainy, it's going to come to me like that. And there's not a lot that I need to add in the mastering stage, but there are times where, where I'll get something in the bands like, you know, we like this, everything's balanced, but it just feels too clean. We want it pushed a little bit. We want it distorted. Um, so again, it's, it's, there's, it's just with what, I've got, you know, I've got different tools at my disposal and it's, it, it, it matters what the band, what direction they want. And communication is, a, is communication a big part of that. Then. you know, yeah, it's all true. communication. It's, it's, it's usually I can gauge, like I said, which, which direction the band wants to go with, with things. But, you know, sometimes I, I need to do a pass or two to really get an idea yeah. with that. Um, so yeah, there's, there's, you know, digital, we're lucky because digital is, is you can't hear it as uh, you know, there were times where you could hear, you know, if, if something was all digital in these days, I mean, you could tell me like dark side of the moon. Okay. Like you could, you could tell me that like if that was recorded today and you said that was done entirely digital in the box, I, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't mm -hmm. question it. Mm -hmm. Um, but at, you know, at, at the same time, there's, there's digital clean and there's analog clean. Right. So like, if somebody wants something clean, there's different ways of approaching it. So, you know, sometimes that might be just staying, uh, you know, keeping with an all digital signal path. And sometimes that means going out of the box and using uh, like a, you know, a pristine EQ, uh, not pushing things too hard. Yeah. Um, 
probably like keeping to, a holistic view ultimately at the end of it. Yeah, and like you know, distortion is distortion is is like is kind of like painting. It's it's like painting with colors, right? And like you've got so many colors in your palette, and I like having those colors, and I like working with that kind of stuff because it's fun. You know, it's like it's like guitar amps, right? Like you you a lot of guitar amps, you know, as a guitar player, like a lot of differences in guitar amps are just from the mu- the kind of music that we all play and listen to, like we know the differences from their gain channels and from the distortion that they put out. So, you know, like I, you give me anything, I'm going to be, I'm going to be happy with the clean tone, but the distortion sound, I'm going to be a lot pickier with. So, mm. um, you know, I like to add a little bit of distortion to things sometimes just, or like push, like I've got some API and Neve uh, modeled op amps or a piece of gear that uses Neve and API op amps. And, I like pushing that sometimes and, or like pushing an inductor EQ, you know, to get some sizzle and things like that. I like that word, sizzle. <laughs> sizzle. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of those words. It's like, you've got, you've got warmth, sizzle, <laughs> uh, sound Crunch. stage. Like I don't fuck sound stage, depth of field. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, uh, you know, I, I'm not going to say like, you know, bacon, bacon frying, <laughs> you know, like, it's just sizzle, right? Like sizzle, sparkle, sparkles, another one. Um, and I find that uh, when you use those terminologies, yeah. you know, if, if I'm at a practice, let's say, and uh, people interpret it differently. So I might say, I want to be more sizzle on that. And <laughs> the other yeah. guy just goes in the complete opposite direction. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's another thing. That's, that's you, something, you know? Okay. <laughs> Yeah. With that's a big one. Like with, when it comes to communication, that's a really big one for me is, is I have to get on the same page, like just, just to make sure we're talking about the same, same thing here, like squashed, like squashed to me means, you know, kind of all the dynamics being removed. Mm. Um, That's kind of a across the board, but sometimes somebody might mean something else like, or like some people might think compressed means it's quieter. Mm. And, you know, in, in effect, it kind of is in some ways, but, um, yeah, sometimes I have to get on the same page, like just like, but again, like I have to kind of use my instinct and hone in on, on that and think like, okay, I wouldn't, I wouldn't really call this record. Like, I, I wouldn't say this needs any more warmth. Mm-hmm. You know, if someone's mm-hmm. asking for warmth and they mean kind of more like upper mid range, area, which I wouldn't consider warmth, you know, but sometimes I really do have to get on the same page with, with people about that just to, to mm. clarify. But it seems like it's an art really. You're working kind of with a solid palette as such, Brad, and mm-hmm. creating what, like define creating and mastering if you can for yourself. I, I mean, I'm here as a, I'm here in a support fashion. I'm not, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm here to help bands do what they want. I'm here uh-huh. to help them. I got to leave my ego at the door and I'm, and it's real important for me to do that. And it's, it's important if I want to stay successful and and active in what I do to, to keep my ego at the door and to, you know, if, if, if a band is wanting to go a different direction, then, then what I've done, I got to be okay with that. You know, I've got to, I'm here to help them achieve what, what they want. So, but I've also got to balance that with, with my own little touches and, and my own little art and things like that. So, I mean, there's some things that I would, I would be in at the end of the day, there's some decisions that I would make on mastering that I would be really, really proud of because it's things that helped the, the, the record get to the next level. And there's some things where I just kind of take a step back and just, you know, light touch 
And I'm still just as proud of that because I've still helped the band do what they want. Um, maybe those, maybe sometimes I, I question like, maybe if I would have pushed it a little bit more, like, you know, a little like colored it just a little bit more, you know, maybe it could have been, or maybe the band was quick to approve something. Um, but I mean, at the end of the day, they, they know what they want and I'm not here to question that. And I'm not, I'm not a member of the band. I'm not a producer. I'm a mastering engineer. And I, like I said, I just got to e leave my ego at the door, but still kind of add my own. My yeah. Own it's, it's the human to elements it. to it. You know, right. it's mm -hmm. when bands fucking think they can kind of run a mastering through a mm -hmm. preset and walk away, you know, that's yeah. fucking, yeah, you, you, it's an unenviable you, task you, you to can't be fair really do because that. you have so many personalities that you're dealing with and one person's idea of what they want the thing to sound like might differ from the other guy. And a lot of the times I find with bands, um, they don't know what they want to sound like. They think they do, but they don't actually know what it is that they're looking for at the end of the day, what the end product is going to sound like. They think they do and they have mm -hmm. reference points, but then you put it in that space for them and they're like, that's not what I want. And <laughs> you're back to square mm -hmm. one again. You know? Yeah. And, and it, for, for me, like the, 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 the goal I always have is to give them something better than mm -hmm. what they have in mind. And that might sound contradictory to what I said, but like it, my goal is to give them something better than what they want. And like I said, they know what they want. If they get something and they're even happier than they would be. Um, and there's, there's times too, where, you know, I think that one thing sounds better than, you know, I, I think that the band might be that I think, you know, I, I think that maybe they took a step back with a pass or something like that. But again, it's, it's, it's my, it's my job to, to facilitate them mm. making a record. And I will chime in if it's a, if it's, if it's a big deal, if it's a lateral move, I mean, I'm not, I'm going to stay out of the game. And if it's a, if it's a band full of strong personalities, I'm just going to, you know, light a fuse <laughs> and run. But I mean, that's when I can tell because I'll, you know, I, I, I might, the job might get put on hold for <laughs> a week and a half or so and then they come back like, Hey, or like I've been dealing with, with the, with the guitar player and then the drummer emails me, <laughs> yeah. you, know, you know, and I'm like, okay, all right. You got, I'm, I sense conflict here. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's just. Yeah. And you know what? That's the human side of things and long may it last. Cause like the day when fucking AI takes over. <laughs> Can you There's see that? sugar in this drink? I'm drinking. <laughs> if, it, it, if you give me a sugar free, one of these. It, or with artificial sugar, artificial sweetener, I'm going to tell the difference. So like I said before, like you, you show me when they perfect artificial sweetener and I'll be, I'll be worried about AI doing a superior job. Well, just, human just on that, how do you feel about um, amp, amplifier model, moderate, you know, um, models and so on? Oh, they've, they've come incredibly yeah. far. Yeah. Um, so uh, digital modeling amps, so that, you know, replicating the sound of a tube amp, for example. Okay. Yeah, I was playing around with Taylor Young's presets, the mm. SDL um, stuff that he did, uh, and it's quite impressive. Um, I mean, the stock stuff that comes with like Persona Studio One is impressive. Uh, they've come a long way with that, and it's not going to ruin your record. Mm. Like the lead sounds, especially like the last record I played guitar on, I did all the leads through the UAD, um, through some UAD stuff. Uh, it's impressive. Mm. It's, it's, it's really neat. And you can do a lot with, with modeled guitar stuff um, and recordings and you eliminate some problem areas with, with, with microphones. Like 
you, you know, you, you run into a lot of problems with, with combining microphones or mic mm-hmm. placement or consistency. If somebody bumps a microphone in the studio, you, you know, you kind of, you, you make those problems a little less, you make those problems less problematic when, when you start using amplifier models, you've still got, you know, often still have ribbon, like ribbon mic models and dynamic mic models at your disposal that you can screw up phase with and shit like that. But it it makes things a lot easier and more accessible. But like, I think live, I think when you start going with, with live, there's nothing like pushing air, you know, or well, you're going to push air anyway, but like with, with like actual, like the actual amp pushing the air, right? Like I, I think you're going to like, and we're getting close too, even, you know, with, with a lot of those modeling amps that that are out these days, but like, I think that's where you're going to hear most of those differences when you're in the room with it. And having said that, that's where you come back to the caveat of recording with, with modeled amplifiers that like you get inspiration from that Mm. sometimes from being in the same room as your loud amplifier that might make you as an, as a guitar player, uh, make certain decisions, especially like when you're improving or like coming up with solo ideas or things like that, or just playing. Like sometimes it's just better to be in front of, in front of the amp. And hmm. that's hard to model. It's, it's hard to it, get, it's getting closer for certain isn't it, people it, to get it, the inspiration. It really does feel that. like it's getting closer, but, yeah. but I know what you mean. It's, it's, it capturing is. a band's essence. It really is about how they, how they present themselves live and in the studio and so on. And, uh, mm-hmm. it's very hard to replicate that yeah. with digital modeling so far. But um, I think we're getting really close to it. It's just cap- it's just capturing. Mm. I think the 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 personal effect that a digital lamp would have on a person in the room. It's not the same mm-hmm. as the guy standing in front of us and, and you know feeling it out and and getting that kind of emotion going and yeah. and investment in it. I, we're not there yet, but it's it's getting increasingly closer, isn't it? Absolutely, and you know, like just you can like, there's nothing wrong with layering your guitar mm. tracks, right? Like do, do one layer, do one pass live and then do another pass of overdubs with a different amp that you've got a mm. model of. There's nothing wrong with that. Like, and you're going to get some cool results doing that. So it's, it gives you a more layered, um, you know, a more layered sound with, with a more layered guitar sound, a thicker guitar sound. You've got some playing inconsistencies with your, you know, if, unless you're just, completely like show off clinch <laughs> tight, you know, everything's gotta be, you know, like I like having some slop to the different layers and, and maybe some tuning inconsistencies there that give it a, give it a kind life. of a full, full sound, but like, so, I mean, it's, yeah, we're almost there. We're, or, I, well, I'm not going to say we're almost there cause I don't know where there is, but I think that you, we've come a long way with, with, with guitar modeling. We've, we've come a long way from um, the software. line six pod kidney fucking things, <laughs> to, you know, and even those like even those like you're you're you can use like you can still Mm. use those for certain for certain things and you know i if you wanted if you were in a crunch and needed to do guitar leads or something like that like you could still get Mm. away with it and and you know color it a little bit in the mix or or whatever but like even those i mean they don't sound that bad but howard you always struck me as someone that's kind of minimalistic very much so richie I've got a tuning pedal. I've got uh, 
fucking hell, I can't even think what it is. An Ibanez uh, Overdrive. And uh, every now and again, you use a DD7 delay. And that's it. Fuck all else. Dude, pedal boards stress oh, man, me I, out, man. I see somebody with a big ass... them is a nightmare. You know, dude, when like, something goes wrong at a show. Fuck God, that. dude, like... <laughs> Man, I, I saw a band once. They had to stop, like, literally stop playing because the guy didn't know which one of his pedals was bad. Like, I, I'm serious. Like, it's like, that stresses me out. I Man, I see that. I'm like, dude, like, no, keep me away from yeah, that. I, and so, I, I, I and not only it. that, but like, man, like half the shows we played, like we would, we would show up and the show had to be over at 10 and they booked six <laughs> bands on the bill. And the, la- the band before us, quits playing at 9 30 and we're like okay you gotta set up and play quick the last thing i want to do is like be plugging in all my pedals and hold on guys i'm I, you know and are there a house show where I, like people are literally like pushing the mic into my face i don't want them stepping all over it's my like pedals. A, it's like, a, it's like having a mini traffic jam on stage it's you know oh yeah you have, especially oh, when you've got really good out. gear when you've got gear that you've invested in in terms of an mm-hmm. amplifier you want to hear the amplifier roar you want to hear it come out through everything that you're doing and not be I don't know. Yeah. Messed with in between. <laughs> I want to be yeah. as close to that signal as possible. Well, and, and I mean, how many things, how many different distortion pedals do you need? <laughs> like, and, and if you're going to, if you're going to buy a phaser, if you're going to buy a phaser, you better be like, you, you better be the next Eddie Van Halen or you better be okay with using that on one, one part. Right? Like, otherwise you're going to be like, oh, oh, that guy with the phaser on every song, he's got a phaser or a flanger or whatever. Like, you know, delay is a little bit different. Like delay is, 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 is you use it more mm. as a tool, but like, yeah, like fuck man, pedal boards. Fucking oh, nightmare. Not it's only a, that, it's like one more thing to make room for. It's a thing. No, it's no offense to anybody that uses it. You know, people but, are just obsessed with it and, and I kind of get it to an extent, but um, I do have a lot of pedals, but I use them at home when I'm messing around and having a bit of crack and trying to have a bit, little bit of fun with playing, <laughs> but playing live. Mm. Yeah, I do the same. Like the biggest yeah, scene in Ireland in I don't know are you aware of it Brad but the biggest scene in Ireland is the doom sludge mm. scene yeah and they're they're big on mm. pedals mm. they're big on well they're big on pedals because they they hit a note and then they have enough time to go out and buy <laughs> one before they have to hit the next note <laughs> <laughs> so fucking true man there's guys hey, what, gonna be watching buy? this going oh. <laughs> I hope they're fucking watching I hope they're listening <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no offense, no offense to him. It, what was the best advice you were given, Brad? I, I always ask this for to producers and masters and engineers. What was the best advice you were given? Get it sounding right when you record. Leave no questions when you go to when you go to tape or when you go to to disc. Try to leave. Tr- try to get rid of any questions you have. You know, if if your guitar t- sound is not where you want it, and you're put and you're recording it. Don't think you're going to fix mm. it after it's, after it's recorded. Get everything sounding the way you want it. Um, listen to a rough mix and, and have that rough mix be close to how you want it, the, the, the final mix to sound. And things will be a lot easier. Don't try to do too much in the mix. Don't try to do too much in mastering. Get everything right when you, when you, do, when you do the tracking. Sometimes it's not easy to do that, but that's, that's one of the best pieces of advice I've, I was ever given, um, with, with recording, um, mastering God, like I just, I don't know, <laughs> I could, couldn't really tell you the best, but like with, with recording in general and just, just working with sound, it's, it's definitely like the sounds that you're capturing, getting, getting those, getting those right when you mm-hmm. capture them. You know, don't, you're not going to go out and catch a bird and expect to turn it into a, you know, catch a crow and expect to turn it into a dove. You know, it's a, 
you know, it's still a pro. <laughs> yeah, you can paint it white, um, but it's, it's I don't know fall. why I use that analogy. I, it's not like I, I don't go out and catch <laughs> birds just so everybody knows. I'm not, I don't know why there was like a story on, on NPR the other day about like these guys who were like catching birds and they were like, they were doing these song songbird battles. It was like, a, I don't know. So maybe that was in my head. I don't know who the fuck catches yeah. birds. You gotta be fuck. Yeah, you got to be a bit of a fucking sequel. You you, that's uh, the kind feed, of, feed the birds. Yeah, you, well, yeah, and play a, use a phaser on every song. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, no, that's. Yeah, I don't know why I use cool. that analogy, but but yeah, I mean, it, you, you know, like you you just can't you can't you're limited on the transform the transformation that you mm. can do as you get down the line, right? Like the the amount of of move, movement that you can make before it hits that microphone is greater than the, the amount of movement you can make after. Yeah. So, yeah. One other thing. Um, how did you come across your studio? Uh, this place has been here for over 30 years and I had built a mastering studio in my basement that was really small. And uh, mm -hmm. we had had a, had a kid and it was really small and it was getting more difficult. Like I was getting a lot more work and it was getting more difficult to work from home. And um, this room was sitting here empty for a long time for 20 years it's been it was kind of a storage closet here it was the studio b um in a building that has three right. studios so there's a studio a which is the main the main room of the big recording studio across the hall there's studio c which is kind of a smaller um more overdub or like voiceover focused studio and then this was studio b which was yeah it was in here there was a lot of uh you know they would use it as like an auxiliary tracking room if they were tracking bass or something mm -hmm. like that um but a good friend of mine stan wright uh from buzzer howl was working out of here. He, he was renting part of, of the main studio and, um, I came across it through him and just, uh, yeah, uh, lucked out. And yeah, it's been here for over 30 years, the, the building and as a studio, um, you know, poison idea recorded Kings of punk here. And I believe 87, um, there's been a lot of good music come out of this place. Mm -hmm. Um, there are, or there were, um, some really like some tapes in the basement for a long time, just some classic stuff, you know, classic bands. And, uh, I'm lucky again to be here. Yeah. How old now was audio siege at this stage, Brad? Uh, actually just, uh, just turned 11, I guess in March, I believe. Yeah. So 11 years. Been Come doing on. And the nicest praise you've received yet. <laughs> just, Man, you know, you've okay. worked with a lot, a lot of bands, <laughs> man. You know, what is the the one thing that sticks out that you went, thank you? There's a, all, anytime I get handwritten notes, like, or even if it's on the mm. box, I try to save all those. I'll put them with the records. So, I mean, a lot of times it's just, it's just seeing kind of the, 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 the happiness in, in what they write with the note. It's, it's, I don't know. I, 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 I compartmentalize like praise. Like I, I don't use praise as I'm very humble. Uh, I don't yeah. like to use praise as kind of yeah. a, 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 um, as a credit to myself or anything like that. But like, I, I think just people being really thankful and being like helping somebody along the way. And, and when people say that I've, I've was good with communicating with them, I, I think that's always a good thing because I feel like I could always be better with communication or like, faster to respond to emails and things like that. But I mean, the bottom line is I, I get to work and I want to work. I want to work on, on music and I might like, mm -hmm. you know, I try to answer emails every couple of days or something. I'm not like one of those, like write you back mm -hmm. immediately. But like, I think when, when, when 
yeah, I just, I, I, when people just are, are grateful, I, I think when, when they're happy with it, um, there was one thing I had saved on my, on my screen, um, my computer one time, it was like a screenshot of somebody's email. And it was like, this record is really important to me, make it heavy. And that's all it was. And so, you know, I kind of put it there as a, as a reminder that like these records are really important to people mm-hmm. and it's, it's, it's their baby. You know, I, I, I gotta, I'm the doctor that's got to keep from dropping the baby. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> There's so many steps in the process, uh, Richie, when you start out recording um, an album or whatever it is, there are so many steps that be taken. And the last step is usually mastering. And uh, by the time you come around mm. to getting something mastered, you're exhausted from it. You're up and you're down. You're, you're, you're worried. You're overthinking. You're questioning. And then when you get it back and you, you hear it, mm-hmm. you, you kind of go, you know, that sounds what I wanted to sound like. It is, can be overwhelming at times, you know. And then sometimes when, um, when it's done right, you really do feel that connection or feel that uh, urge to go out and connect with the person who's put, a, put, the, put the cherry on the cake at the end of the whole thing. But yeah, it, it is. Yeah, that's that's always a great. It is. Yeah, it's it gratifying. must be very rewarding for you to to experience that over and over again. You know, it's it, it's quite rewarding. And that, like I said, that's why I say when when bands send me their records, you know, somebody will email me saying, "Hey, our records out. Like, can I send you one?" I always offer to pay for it. Mm-hmm. I don't expect them to send me one for free. I off they paid me to master their record. I don't mind paying them to to you know. Usually they're mm-hmm. like you know I insist. I'm like okay, but like I always save those notes. I always put them in that record. You know, just if I want yeah. to break it out, I just to see it and remind myself. And it's, it's God, it's like, wouldn't trade mm. it for the world. Um, mm. But yeah, like by the end, like you, you, you hit the nail on the head by the end, by the time you get to that point, like there's been a lot of ups and downs emotionally, like a lot of exhaustion. And I, you know, I, I deal with a lot of people who are at that stage um, or who are, who are start questioning the decisions mm. that have been made along the way. And so there's a lot of bedside manner that has to go into that as Absolutely. well. Okay. Brad Boatwright, thank you so much for your contribution. Thank you. The heavy metal music. Thanks Ooh. for coming on the show, man. I really appreciate Salute. it. Yeah. A real pleasure. I, it's it's a little early for a beer here, so I'll, I'll just my <laughs> vitamin water here. And, and crucially, thank you for your contribution as well to Irish metal. My pleasure. Yeah. Uh, Fantastic. Always a thank pleasure. you so much. Always a pleasure. Yeah, so you've been listening to Brad Boatwright. Hit up Audio Siege. If you want your record mastered no better man and if you're listening to the show hit that subscribe button thanks guys